0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant, Jerry Jerome, Rowland, and just the whole the whole House Stuff Works gang here to present to you stuff you should know. All three of us. Mm-hmm. How you doing? I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, little, uh, I'm a little caffeinated i should warn you oh a little bit like when teeth are about to just come right out of my face <laughs> that's not good uh you know we
0: did a video about coelacanths one time
1: yeah like was it this day in history about when <sighs> they were so. discovered yeah i ran across it
0: because it, it smacked as familiar to me and you know the constant fear we have of Recording an, an entire podcast over mm-hmm. uh, is sort of always there. Yeah, the fear that sometimes comes <laughs> true. Yeah. So I I definitely went back and looked, and I was like, I knew we did something.
1: Yeah, we were trapped in a shipping container, right?
0: Uh, I, I didn't watch it. I didn't either. I just, I just saw <laughs> enough to say, oh, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah.
1: That really weird, weird thing we did. But this is really cool, I think. I do, too. Coelacanths were, um, well, they're interesting. Despite what the House Stuff Works article would lead you to believe, Oh, it was yeah, it was a little thin, wasn't it? <laughs> a little bit. It was all right. Okay. But luckily,
0: the rest of the internet is there for us,
1: right? <laughs> Thanks, to, especially to Smithsonian and Mental Floss for this one, right?
0: Yeah, that Mental Floss uh, article was kind of neat, actually.
1: It was. So, you want to go back to the beginning? Actually, the second beginning, maybe.
0: Oh, well. I don't know what you're talking about now. So just.
1: Okay. Well, follow me. (laughs) We'll go back to the very beginning. We'll go back to something about 400 million years ago. Okay. During the Devonian period, which is AKA the rise of the fish. Yes. The age of the fish, right? And in this Devonian period, there's a lot, a lot of stuff going on. Things have been swimming around for a while. On Earth, there's a nice atmosphere that's developed. The things in the ocean are starting to say, Oh, what's out there? I want to see what's on land. Yeah. Maybe I, wanted, I can just crawl out and see. Yeah. I want to taste clover. <laughs> so they start trying. And, and during this period, there was the progression from the, the sea to the land. Yeah. And one of those things that was, was starting to develop legs to get onto land was called the coelacanth. Yeah.
0: Which, um, A, it means hollow spine, which, is uh we'll get to there's a reason for that right and b it's spelled uh c-o-e-l-a-c-a-n-t-h which is uh you know not how you would think it might be spelled no or pronounced rather
1: right either one but it's coelacanth
0: it is coelacanth uh and what it is is a fish that is um like you said been around for a long long time it's um kind of funny looking And we'll get into all the physical characteristics that make it unusual, uh, in a sec, but it is notable, uh, mainly for the fact that everyone thought it was gone forever. Right. Until it was suddenly discovered. This thing that, that swam with the dinosaurs Mm -hmm. was discovered anew in the 1930s. Right. And then again a little bit later on.
1: Yeah, because it, it, it was, it pops up for the first time around, um, 407 million years ago I think I said and and then it just drops off 80 million years ago so they said well a lot of stuff went the way of the dinosaur around the time the dinosaurs went away <laughs> yeah. um so that's probably what happened to the coelacanth. so it was quite a big surprise in the 1930s when a uh, a trawler um that was out fishing a trawler called the Nareen, which is captained by Hendrik Goosen off the coast of South Africa, came in, and as was Captain Goosen's want, uh, he contacted the director of the local museum in East London, a woman named Miss Marjorie Courtney Latimer. And she used to come over and look at the fish loads this guy would bring in because they were buddies. Yeah, And he gave her a call like normal and said, I got a load, you want to come look at it? And she was like, it's two days before Christmas and it's blazing hot out. (laughs) Don't forget we're in South Africa at the time. Uh-huh. And she's like, I don't feel like it. But the world was saved. The world of ichthyology was saved this day. Yeah. Because this lady, Marjorie Courtney Latimer, was so nice that she decided to go look at the fish anyway, just to wish the captain and his crew a Merry Christmas.
0: So uh, she takes a look at this fish, and here is her quote, uh, as she recounted. That wasn't her quote at the time. Her quote at the time it's probably a South African expletive. Right. <laughs> uh, but she said later, I, I picked away the layers of slime to reveal the most beautiful fish I had ever seen. Uh, and, of course, only a, a fish lover can find this thing truly beautiful. Yeah.
1: Because it's kind of ugly. It is.
0: Uh, it was five feet long, a pale a mauvey blue with faint flecks of whiter spots. It had an iridescent silver-blue-green sheen all over it was covered in hard scales, and it had four limb-like fins and a strange little puppy dog tail. Uh, not literally, of course. Uh, it was said, which would be great, though, actually. Yeah. Did.
1: That's the dogfish that has that. Uh,
0: it was such a beautiful fish, more like a big china ornament, but I didn't know what it was. And um, it was pretty faithful that she was called in uh, to look at this thing, because it ended up being one of the most important zoological finds of, you know, history probably.
1: Of the 20th century, at least. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. This woman's curiosity, um, something in her said, this is weird. This is unusual. This is, this is something worth looking into. So she took it with her. This thing was like five feet long, just under two meters, about a hundred and how many pounds? 127 pounds. This is a significant fish. Yeah. And, uh, Ms. Courtney Latimer, Talked her way into a cab with it. She took a cab back to the East London Museum with this fish stuffed in the back seat. And, um, she took it to the taxidermist and had it stuffed. Unfortunately, the taxidermist wasn't completely aware of how to preserve a fish for identification and threw out the skeleton and the gills, which are what you need for, for, um, to ID a fish apparently.
0: Well, she probably should have said something. Well, she she like this is no ordinary mount.
1: Yeah, right. She you know? probably should have,
0: or maybe she did, and he just ignored
1: her. <laughs> he's like, I'm not going to get bossed around by a woman. Nineteen thirty-eight. <laughs> so she contacts a guy named JLB Smith, who is an ichthyologist. He's the head of the ichthyology department at a university in Grahamstown, and a PhD in chemistry. Um, he's a smart guy. And he's uh, the, the local fish expert as far as she knows.
0: Yeah. And they're, they're pals. And so she said, Hey, I've got this, uh, weird looking fish. And then, uh, Smith, his quote was, I told myself sternly not to be a fool, but there was something about that sketch. Uh, and uh, apparently it was, it was sketched. She sent him a sketch of the fish to begin with. Yeah. Uh, that seized upon my imagination and told me that this was something very far beyond the usual run of fishes in our seas. Uh and luckily, even though the fish was um, um I guess mounted in a traditional form, which like you said takes away its uh how you can identify it, she was able to preserve some of the scales and somehow from these scales he was able to say, This is a colacanth, coelacanth. Right. Well, that's what he said at first, and she went it's pronounced coelacanth.
1: He's like, Oh, <laughs> Apparently, he said when he saw that scale and, and identified it positively as a coelacanth, his quote was, if I'd met a dinosaur in the street, I wouldn't have been more astonished. Eh, I, I like that cat. <laughs> a little hyperbole there, but I like it. So he, um, I mean, this is seriously, this is like the zoological find of the century and would be for the next 60-something years, right? Yeah. yeah. So he uh very magnanimously says, you know what? I'm going to name this thing after you. And he uh, named it as a new species, Latimeria chelumnae, because, um, well, obviously her name was Courtney Latimer. Yeah. Courtney hyphen Latimer. Yes. And uh, it was found in the uh, Chelumna River at the mouth of it, where it hits the coast off the eastern coast of South Africa. So that's a great name. It's, It's perfect. Yeah. It really puts it in a place and time. Uh, so they
0: have now discovered this thing. They realize that they have a big find on their hands. Um, they thought this thing had long been extinct by tens of millions of years. Uh, and so they started to research and, you know, trying to learn more about this fish. Yeah. Which is no ordinary fish.
1: No, but I mean, this was, so this was 1938, right? Yeah. And it was the only one that had been found for another 60 years. Yeah. I mean, there's only so much you can find from a a stuffed fish, but it did prove, because it had been caught alive, it wasn't like they pulled up a fossil or a dead fish, it had been alive when it was caught.
0: Yeah, I think it was attached to another fish. Oh, really? Like, potentially trying to eat it. Oh, okay. Which is one of the, uh, well, not unusual, but interesting things about the coelacanth is that it eats meat.
1: Well, there's a lot of unusual things about the coelacanth. Yeah. Um. So fast forward another 60 years, exactly, um, in Indonesia, which is on the other side of the Indian Ocean, the eastern side of the Indian Ocean. It was um, actually first seen in 1997 by a, a biologist named Mark Erdman, who was in Indonesia doing some, his PhD dissertation, and he saw a coelacanth in the market. He's That's like, crazy. That's a coelacanth. What's that doing here? So apparently he put a bit of a bounty out on it with the locals, and within a year... By 1998, they had brought him a freshly caught one. Yeah, which is quite a task. Yeah, uh, it's it, finding a a, a once-thought-extinct fish. Yeah. It's a big one.
0: Well, and we'll get to a little bit why it's even tougher than you would think, too. Sure.
1: So the, the one that Erdman found was brown, right? Yeah, it was a little bit different color. Right. The one, uh, like... Uh, Courtney Latimer described. Those are known to be like steel blue. This is brown, a little smaller than the the one that Courtney Latimer found. Um, and so eventually, when Erdman got his hands on that one, um, he described it as a new species.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it turns out that at one point, um, you know, hundreds of millions of years ago, there were, you know, potentially over a hundred different varieties of this fish. Uh, and they came in all shapes and sizes. Um, these obviously were pretty big, but there were some that were smaller and faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, ba- basically just a, kind of a wide variety. And as far as we know, I think are these the only two known survivors? Yes. So
1: far. Yeah. The, the one that Courtney Latimer found are known as the, uh, West Indian Ocean coelacanth. Those are the blue ones. They're typically found, off of the uh west no, the east coast of Africa, south of Kenya, I believe. Yeah. Um down to about the Cormoros Islands. Uh, I think that's they're actually also known as the Cormoros Island sea because there's that's that seems to be where they inhabit the most or the highest density of them is.
0: Yeah, and um some of the weird some of the weirdos that have uh well, we assume that they've been extinct, mm-hmm. but you never know. Uh, one of them was toothless uh, and over 10 feet long. Uh, that was the megaloselacanthus.
1: Very appropriately known. Uh,
0: some of them said, forget you, ocean. I'm going to go to the freshwater. Mm-hmm. So there were actually freshwater coelacanths at one time. Uh, and like I said, some of them were slow and ambushed prey. Some were uh, smaller and faster. Uh, but they've pretty much universally all been predators from what I've seen.
1: Right. And, uh, the two species that are alive today that we know of, um, are, aside from that Megalus coelacanth, um, tend to be a little bigger than the, the extinct species. Yeah. Which, um, I read is a, a good, it's a good example of why they shouldn't be called living fossils, which is what they're frequently called.
0: Yeah. That's Darwin's term for something that, um, Basically never changed. Right. Uh, and they've actually studied the genome of the coelacanth and found that they very much haven't changed. And the uh, kind of the main reason is they haven't had to. Um, they've kind of stayed in the same places. And when you stay in the same places and you eat the same stuff – then maybe you don't change so much.
1: I read the, I read the opposite of that, that they have changed enough that they, that they have been evolving. And a good example of that is that they're bigger than they used to be. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But the two species that are alive today, um, they have traced their genomes back and decided that they've been separated for several million years at least. Yeah. This one, uh, they
0: finally got the full genome and they said that, uh, it, it does indeed match the fish's appearance of slower evolution, uh, in a journal published in Nature, uh, because they have a slower rate of substitution. Gotcha. Um, basically, she the, the uh, the doctor, well, yeah, I guess she is a doctor. It just sounded weird to say that. <laughs> the doctor? <laughs> the researcher, who is also a doctor. Yeah. Who is, uh, she said it may reflect the fact that they do not need to evolve quickly because they've lived in relatively unchanging environment, uh, where there are a few predators uh and they basically haven't needed to change over time like other organisms.
1: Well that brings up another thing too. There's a there's a big question, why would they just drop off of the fossil record if they've been around this whole time? I don't know. If they didn't just go extinct 80 or 65 million years ago, the um only explanation I've seen is that the places where the fossils turned up were areas conducive to fossilization like there was a lot of sediment that could turn bone into rock. Yeah. And then the areas that the living Uh, species live at now are not conducive to that kind of thing possibly because they're mostly living around volcanic rock that doesn't necessarily produce fossils. Huh. You want to take a break?
0: Yeah, let's take a break and we'll get back and talk a little bit about this funny fish. (laughs) So we've talked a little bit about what makes the coelacanth such a interesting critter. Um, can a critter be a fish? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you heard of the cuttlefish? That's a critter if there ever was one. <laughs> yeah, a cuddly critter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here are some remarkable things about the coelacanth. Um, they can live as deep. I mean, they're deep water dwellers. They can live as deep as 2,000 or more feet, but generally, uh, they think the, um, I think they, generally live about 500 to 800 feet in what they call the twilight zone. Right. Which is still pretty deep.
1: That, remember our cave episode? Yeah. Um, that had the same thing. Remember, there was, like, organisms that live in the dark, organisms that live in the twilight zone, and organisms that live in the lighted zone. Yeah. These guys live in that threshold between light and dark in the ocean. And they um, apparently are nocturnal hunters.
0: Yeah, they come out at night, uh, kind of stay hidden, it, most of these uh, habitats are are caves right. uh, that they tend to stay in, but there's one off of Tasmania that do not live in caves, and so they have officially been placed on an endangered list because they don't have the protection uh, from uh, bycatch that these other cave dwellers have.
1: Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So the the um, average day in the life of a coelacanth, at least the cave-dwelling um, species, they, they'll, you know, the, during the daytime, they're hanging out in a cave. They'll hang out in a cave with, I've seen between up to 12 to 16 other coelacanths. Yeah. Have a little coffee. Yeah. Maybe just talk. Yeah. You know, talk about their night. <laughs> and then as night falls, they'll leave their caves and they'll, they'll go hunting. And like you said, they're, um, carnivorous predators. Um, they do that passive bycatch thing for the most part, right? Where they let the, the current bring, the food to them, but they, uh, just basically hang out and wait for a cuttlefish. It's one thing they eat. Squids, other cephalopods, some fishes, but they seem to not, um, show aggression toward one another from what I understand.
0: Yeah. And, um, while they are passive hunters, they do have a, an unusual feature, which is, uh, like we said, one of many, but they have what's called a rostral organ which just means it's in the nasal region in their snout mm-hmm. uh and it's filled with a jelly-like substance that they think uh and they think most of this stuff I mean they've done a lot of good studying but for something so rare right you can't you know be super sure but they think that it detects uh low-level uh, electrical signals and frequencies from prey
1: yeah, like a shark or a ray. Yeah. It's an electrosensory organ where when living tissue contacts water, it can make an electrical impulse that can be picked up.
0: Yeah. And this, uh, cool mental floss article is, I think 11, uh, 11 things about the coelacanth. I can't remember how it was put, but just 11 interesting features. Are and you,
1: are 11 fishy facts? Was
0: that it? Unfortunately.
1: <laughs> That's why I forgot it. Uh,
0: title aside, it's an interesting article and, um, One of the things that they don't know why they do, and I have a feeling it has to do with that electrical frequency, is they'll swim nose down um, for up to two full minutes, which is weird for a fish.
1: They're just kind of hovering in place, headstanding, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess,
0: I mean, if they have that nasal uh, bag of jelly Mm -hmm. that helps them locate fish, I would imagine that's what they're doing there, right?
1: I I imagine it like Tonto, like holding a railroad track. (laughs) You know, yeah. I think it's the same thing, basically. Uh-huh. So, um, when they catch their prey, they eat them, and they can eat stuff that's way bigger than them because, uh, again, uh, which is. This is um unique to to coelacanths among living things. They have a uh hinge in their cranium that allows basically their head is convertible. the top of their skull can retract, allowing their mouth to open really wide, yeah, so they can eat a large large cuttlefish, yeah, and
0: I think the that feature also allows it to uh their mouth to close with like much greater force with extreme prejudice yeah, like when it's unhinged yeah um Emotionally and <laughs> right. physically, it can really close that mouth
1: uh, super hard. Yeah. They hate themselves for eating cuttlefish. I guess so. They just can't stop.
0: So those are just a couple of the features. Another is, um, and we mentioned earlier that it, uh, the name literally translates into hollow spine. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is because they have what's called a notochord, which is a hollow pressurized tube filled with oil where – a lot of uh fish start this way, uh, and then they'll eventually get a spine, but this doesn't go away.
1: Right, and not just fish, vertebrates. Apparently, um there's a lot of mammals that go through this, I think possibly even humans, in the embryo. And the coelacanth just says, I'm good with the notochord. I'm going to stick here. Yeah. I'm going to stop here. Yeah. Which is strange. It is strange. You want to hear some more stranges? I could do this all day. It, well, it's a strange fish. Coelacanth... Um, we don't quite understand how they reproduce. And the reason why is because males don't seem to have any sex parts. They don't have junk. They think possibly males grow it when they need it, but okay. it's otherwise it's, it's not around. They're growers. They're not showers. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. So we have no idea how they reproduce, but we know that the, um, the mode of reproduction is called, uh, ovoviviparity, which is however the uh, eggs that the female has get fertilized. Mm-hmm. Once they're fertilized, they gestate or the eggs, uh, develop in the female. Yeah. And then they hatch in the female. Yeah. And then the live fishes continue to gestate. Oh, and like the whole period lasts like three years. Before they're born. So they they go from egg to being hatched to being born within a three-year period. And so apparently this does not make the mom coelacanth very happy. And sometimes she will try to eat her newborn pups. Yeah. So supposedly coelacanth pups, that's what they're called, can dive really deep very quickly the moment they're born. To get away from mom. To get away from their mom, <laughs> who's like three years. Yeah. Three years. Paging Dr. Freud. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I think sharks may be the only other uh, fish that give birth to live little ones. Is that right? I mean, most fish lay eggs. Right. So the, it's definitely unusual.
1: Yeah, it's, it may not be new, unique. Um, but uh,
0: the other thing about their, their sexy time is there's also a theory that um, they're monogamists. Uh, oh, yeah, in, I saw that too. In 2013, a, a German team, um, they had a couple of corpses of two pregnant, um, I believe the, the African version. Yeah. The Latimira Chalumne. And, uh, cause what was he? Oh, I don't remember what the other one was. It was Latimira something else for the Indonesian version. Yeah. We'll just go with that for now.
1: <laughs> I, I was practicing pronouncing it Latimira Menadoensis. Okay. Wow. Thanks. Nice work. Uh,
0: so they analyzed these two pregnant ladies, uh, unfortunately that were no longer with us and they s- found out that they had like most definitely had a single father. Yeah. Which they said was unusual. Sure. Cause one of them had 26, 26 little baby pups inside of her.
1: Right. And they, um, they thought at first, well, maybe it's because the, the coelacanth is so rare that the female wouldn't have opportunity to mate with more than one male and they said, "Well, wait a minute." Well, that's true. Well, no, not necessarily. Once they found out that they stay they hang out together. Yeah, in caves all day long. What else are you going to do? Uh, well, once I don't know. once general <laughs> hospital's over, <laughs> just looking around at everybody like, "Well, what do you want to do?" Yeah.
0: That's a good point. All right, well, let's uh ponder that and take another break and uh we'll finish up with even more interesting things about the sea lecanth. So these guys have live babies. Yep. They might mate with a single mate. G'day. They have, uh they can unhinge their jaw to eat more. Right. They have a jelly-filled thing in their nastra. That, <laughs> that detects electricity. That detects electricity.
1: I know, I'm having trouble saying detects too. Uh,
0: what else? This is sort of a recap.
1: They have an oil-filled spine oil-filled spine. They're Uh, they're just good with, they're like, I don't need a real spine. This one's my favorite. They uh, were long thought to be the missing link between Uh, the fishes and the tetrapods, which are land-dwelling four-limbed animals.
0: Yeah, because uh, a notable thing I don't think we mentioned yet is this thing has, well, I think I did in the quote from Miss Latimer, Courtney Latimer, but Uh uh, they have four fins that move sort of like you would think legs would move if a fish could swim out onto the beach.
1: Legs and arms. Yeah. Like, you remember how Shaggy walked in Scooby-Doo? I do. Just like that. That's basically how a coelacanth (laughs) swims. Yeah. And the fact that their their fins are suspiciously arm-like in appearance Uh just made people think that even more. What's more, their arms, what are called lobes... Are attached by a bone that is compared to the humerus in humans. Yeah. So a lot of people said, "Well, that's it. It's the missing link. The coelacanth is the missing link between the fish and the land-dwelling four-limbed animals." Yeah. And apparently, once the the genome came around, yeah. they said, "Now, a little disappointing." They said, "Yes, we're all related. Technically, we are all um, what are known as sarcopterygians." <laughs> okay. Man, um, which means we are uh, fleshy limb vertebrates. So we're all that. That's gross. So we are related, but it's not like our direct ancestor. In fact, we're more closely related to the lungfish than the coelacanth. But the coelacanth holds its place of honor as probably living on something of its own branch uh, and is a very close cousin, if not bro, of the lungfish. So we're related by marriage. Right. To the coelacanth say.
0: But we, legally, we probably could marry a coelacanth. Sure. And have it not be super creepy. Right. Except for the fact that it's a fish.
1: Right. You (laughs) feel its fleshy lobe thin uh, stroking the back of your head as you kiss it.
0: Uh, I got something for you. That was, I'm just walking right past that one. Um, they taste gross, so don't think it's some weird delicacy. (laughs) Right. Uh, not, you know, that there are that many of them to eat. But apparently, if you do eat them, they can make you sick because these things are filled with urea, mm-hmm. with oil, mm-hmm. with wax ester and fat. Yep. Like what, 98.5% fat. That's just in its skull. Oh, I thought that was the whole body.
1: No, it's, it's brain occupies 1.5% of the area inside its skull. The other 98.5% is fat. And that's at the point that they're an adult. Right, yeah. Supposedly their brains are bigger proportionately when they're younger.
0: And they just stay there. Uh, Yeah. They're frozen in uh, perpetual, like, I guess, toddlerhood.
1: Pretty much. They love life. Yeah. No responsibilities. (laughs) No bills. Mom and dad wipe up after them. Yeah, exactly. What else? Oh, I got one for you. Okay.
0: Vestigial lungs?
1: Oh, yeah. Man, I love these things.
0: So they grow. They had CT scans done, and this is from the Mental Floss article, mm-hmm. uh, of these embryos. And they start growing little lungs uh, early in the the gestation period, and it slows down a bit. And then by the time they're an adult, the organ serves no purpose.
1: Yeah, it's just there. Yep. That's a good one. It is. It was. It's almost like the coelacanth was an attempt, an evolutionary attempt. And it's just like, nah, I'm going to scrap this design. Let's move on to the long fish. Yeah, maybe so. You know? Um, one of the things that struck me, though, Chuck, was when they were talking about how a couple of females that had fully formed young uh, in them ready to be born uh, were caught It's like, that was a lot of the coelacanth population that got wiped out with those two caught fish.
0: Yeah, I mean, if there are only hundreds, then everyone matters.
1: Yeah, they think that there's possibly about a thousand of the uh, ones that live around Indonesia and far fewer of the ones that live uh, off of the west coast of Africa on the western side of the Indian Ocean. Um, and. As a result, both of them are on the endangered species list. They're both protected. And the problem is, is that if something happens to these species and these species die out this time, the whole order is gone um, for good this time around. Yeah. Unless we revive them uh, with some of their DNA.
0: Yeah. All right. I got one last one. Okay. Um, and this was on Mental Floss's list as well. Okay. Okay. Uh, under the title, a prominent hematologist once wrote a coelacanth operetta. All right. So that's an attention grabber. Yeah. Uh, and apparently in 1975, there was a man named uh, Charles Rand of Long Island University, and he was a hematologist and, um, was doing some work with the coelacanth. And, uh, this is when the big revelation was when they learned that it gave birth to live young. Mm-hmm. And he, I guess, was a a music guy. And decided to write a little operetta about this discovery titled A Camp's Lament or Quintuplets at Fifty Fathoms Can Be Fun. Mm-hmm. All sung to the tune of uh, various Gilbert and Sullivan songs.
1: Right. <laughs> that's How a about hema- that? That's a hematologist for you. Wow. For sure. I have no comment on that. Well, I, I mean, it speaks for itself.
0: Right? Other than I wish this was on tape somewhere.
1: Surely it's on YouTube. Everything's on YouTube. You think? Yeah, sure.
0: You want to go over some of these other, quote, living fossils, end quote?
1: Yeah. Um, so again, there was, there's some fishes out there that may have made the jump kind of to land or almost did or what have you, but there's, there's some interesting fishes that are worth mentioning.
0: Speaking of making the jump, did you see that shark that jumped into the boat the other day? No. There was a fisherman, uh, and I guess the shark just did, you know, one of their famous, uh, it was a great white.
1: Oh, God. Did
0: one of its breaches, mm-hmm. where they just jump out of the water. Right. And this thing did that and landed in a dude's fishing boat. Wow. Uh, and he he got banged around a little bit but was not, like, you know, uh, bitten or anything. mm mm-hmm. And basically went into his little control room, I think, and called for help. <laughs> and this shark, like, I mean, it was kind of sad. I think the shark just died. Uh, uh but there were pictures of it. It's, it's huge. It's like eight feet
1: long. Oh my God. It was not a little guy. Yeah. Can you imagine? No. Oh my God. That guy did the right thing. He ran. Yeah, he pooped his pants too. <laughs> yeah. I may have jumped into the water <laughs> had that happened.
0: Uh, all right. So, uh, living fossils, um, the bow
1: yeah, the dogfish, mudfish or grindle. I like uh dogfish.
0: Yeah, th- this guy, I looked all these up. Uh he he lives in the Mississippi River basin and mm-hmm. the Great Lakes uh and other places. Um and are pretty mean supposedly. Well, like eats small mammals, snakes, frogs, other fish. Yeah. Like they'll they'll go after you. Right. Um it's sort of normal looking, just sort of a long fish. Uh Nothing remarkable as appearance wise though.
1: I'll tell you one that's remarkable appearance wise is the gar. Yeah. You know, I just saw a long nosed gar. They are so ugly
0: last weekend. And I was like, it was floating dead in a lake. Mm-hmm. I was like, what in the world? Cause it, it, I went by it at first. I was like, was that a swordfish? Right. I was like, well, no, it's not a swordfish, right? But in the long nosed ones, I mean, this, this thing had a,
1: he had a 12 inch beak. Oh, I mean, it looked prehistoric. Yeah, they very much do look prehistoric, which is one of the reasons why they're called a living fossil. Um And they are just mean. Apparently, they're known to kill other fish, even not even to eat them. Yeah. Just because <laughs> they were in their way, basically. Yeah, like you see this nose? Yeah. And you can't eat gar. They're yeah. inedible. And as a matter of fact, if you eat their eggs, it will kill you. They're very toxic to humans. Yeah. And they just go around killing other fish. So they're not the best thing to have in your lake if you like to fish in a lake.
0: No. And they, um, did you ever see Vernon Florida, the documentary?
1: No, I've never seen that one
0: by the great Errol Morris. It has, uh, one of the interviews, uh, it's one of my favorites is with
1: a guy talking about,
0: talking about the garfish.
1: <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. I got to see that one. Come
0: across one of those. Oh boy.
1: I finally saw Thin Blue Line for the first time. Oh yeah. That's a good one. It is really good. You probably saw it after the parody mm-hmm. of, uh, documentary
0: now. Yeah. I definitely <laughs> did. I saw the documentary now and which first. they nailed like it's like yeah,
1: perfect. They really do. One of the great shows. Uh what's next? Hagfish? Yeah. Mud dwellers? Yeah, they basically look like eels, but they're fish. But the the interesting thing about hagfish aside from the fact that they don't have any eyes is that they eat fish from the inside out.
0: Yeah, I think you underplayed it when you said they basically look like eels. It looks like something out of Dune. Okay. Like, the body looks like an eel, but have you seen the, the front end of this thing? Sure. It's frightening. Oh, yeah. And to think about that crawling up in you and eating you from the inside out.
1: Right. Because if you're a dead or dying fish and you're like, oh, man, I hope I hurry up and die before a hagfish finds you. Yeah. And a hagfish swims down your throat and then eats you from the inside out. Boy. That's a bad day. That's not a good death. No. Uh, and then lastly, what about the sturgeon?
0: Love the sturgeon.
1: Did you know that they they are uh, both freshwater and saltwater here in North America? I did
0: not know that, but um, I know one thing is they're huge.
1: Yeah, they get up to like twenty feet long.
0: Yeah, and I didn't I didn't see any pictures of them that big, but I've seen pictures of fishermen with like sturgeon that look like they're at least eight or nine feet long. Right, uh, and they're crazy looking.
1: Yeah. Well, the reason I was surprised that they are largely North America is I always associate them with. Um, the Baltic area, where they they're the beluga sturgeon is prized for its caviar. That's yeah. what I always think of. When I think sturgeon. Not well,
0: I didn't realize that that's where beluga came from either.
1: Yeah. Uh, and they have armor-like
0: skin, and they're they're these retractable mouths. That so I guess there are different varieties, but some of them look almost like alligators right. from like the head forward.
1: Yeah, they're weird-looking fish. Yeah, but they don't want to hurt anybody. They just want you to eat their eggs. Is that true? Yeah. They're like the giving tree of the lake. All right. Up with sturgeon. Uh, you got anything else? I got nothing else. Well, if you want to know more about living fossils like, uh, you know, coelacanths. Or us. Right. Uh, you can type those words in the search bar at howstuffworks.com. And since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail.
0: Uh, I'm going to call this. My uh, mom married Bob Doro. Oh, I like this one. you see that mm-hmm. one? Great. And I thought it was, because that was the subject line. Right. And then the very first line of the email was, sorry about that attention-grabbing subject line. Right. And I thought it was a lie, because a lot of times people say something remarkable yeah. in the subject line that is completely false, yeah. which always ticks me off. Sure. But this is true. Uh, my mom married the wonderful, talented, and sweet Bob Doro 23 years ago. And uh, if you didn't listen to the show, Bob Dora was um, part of the genius behind Schoolhouse Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, may, may, you know, the original genius. Right. Uh, it was wonderful to hear you two speak so highly of him in your recent podcast. My own family listens to you guys a lot, so to hear you speak of our Bob with such reverence, it warmed our hearts. Uh, when, she, uh, when you mentioned early in your podcast that you wished you could have gotten Bob on the show, I wanted to jump through my phone to say I can make that happen. Uh, Bob learned about you guys about two weeks ago when we took a short road trip for Mother's Day and listened to the grave robbing episode. Um,
1: How awesome is that? I know. The guy listened to us right before we released the the Schoolhouse Rock episode. Yeah. So he's primed and ready to hear us mention it. Fortuitous.
0: Yeah. Uh, He chuckled often during the ride, and when we got to our destination, he asked something to the effect of, Who are those comedy guys? They're good. Man, that made me feel good. Yep. Uh, and then to have the Schoolhouse Rock episode pop up a few weeks later, it was like, whoa. You guys were spot on in your characterization of Bob as a creative genius. A lot of his genius comes from his hard work. The age of 93, he is still traveling the world taking gigs. That's awesome. Uh, my mom often complains that he doesn't know how to say no. Uh, thank you for giving Bob and Schoolhouse Rock its proper due. Next time you come up the coast, the Northeast, that is, we'll be there and I'm sure Bob won't say no. And that is from Pete. Uh, I guess his stepson yeah and um, Pete sent in a picture of he and Bob yeah and and that's him in the flesh it's pretty awesome pretty neat Uh, and you should go to www.bobdoro d-o-r-o-u-g-h dot
1: com and just check it out
0: 93 and going strong
1: nice going Bob thanks for listening to us and thank you Pete for writing in to let us know that we were spot on about what a great guy he is
0: yeah we were genuinely thrilled to hear this yeah
1: uh, if you want to genuinely thrill us, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast or I'm at Josh um, Clark. Uh, you can hang out with us on Facebook.com slash know or slash Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Uh, you can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.